and welcome once again to my favorite thing in the world. It is breakfast all day a la carte. And today's a little intimidating because I have an actual radio person who knows how to talk into a mic and wear headphones for a living sitting across from me. I know how to wear headphones. She's very accomplished. I'm wearing um, them. <laughs> they're fitting quite nicely. Um, her name is Madeline Brand, and she is a legend, a legendary radio host here in LA. And you do some TV for a bit, too. Oh, yeah, just a smidge. And we're going to go through all of it, but um, I usually go on your show. I know, which is fantastic, <laughs> and you're great. Oh, you're so sweet. No, I'm not being sweet. Thank you're you. fantastic. Oh, you're you're like sweet. so fast and smart with your reviews. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm always, I'm always, in, I can't believe that you remember the names of all these, like the actors of this movie that you saw. I mean, not even lead actors, just the, like the fifth or the sixth down on the credit line. You're like, oh, that's da da da. She was in X, Y, and Z. And blah, 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 blah. What? But you know what? My brain is a sieve and that stuff probably leaves as I'm walking back to my car. No, but that's what I'm, <laughs> that's that's what I'm marveling over is that it doesn't. You still have it. And you're like, I've got it here. I've got it there. No notes, ladies and gentlemen. You I don't have like to know notes. when she's on the show doing her film reviews. By the way, the show's press play. <laughs> I was, was going to say that eventually. <laughs> press play with Madeline Brand on KCRW. It is. Every day. <laughs> yes. Um, From so, 12 to 1. Repeat yeah. at 7. <laughs> But you can also find it online at kcw.com. Yes, it's there. Um, so this, we're going to get to all of it. We're going to yeah. go back to the beginning. We're going to get to radio now. Um, you have sort of already answered the question that I like to ask my friends when they come on my show, which is how do we know each other? Well, that's how we know each other. <laughs> you booked me on your show. I know. And you've been on for years now, right? It's been a few years. Yeah, it's great. Mm-hmm. And so you're part of the rotating cast of regulars yes. who come in. And quite nicely give your time and energy and commute time. It's fun. To be on the radio. No, but you guys make it so easy and fun to come and do that. And now you're in your fancy new studios. It's so fancy. Is it so it's much better? It's too fancy for, it? for me. I'm it's, not used to such fancy. Because before you were in the basement Ugh. and that was cozy and dark and dank. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just like I like it. Yes, yes. Now you have sunlight coming in through giant windows. I know. Mm-hmm. It's a little too much. It's like, oh, I feel like a mole person. It's, it's industrial chic. It is. On, in Santa Monica. <laughs> Very cool. So we will get to all of that. Um, so, but you, like me, you are from Los Angeles originally. Mm-hmm. That's I rare. I know it is rare. I was born in Hollywood, believe it or not. What hospital were you born at? Kaiser. Okay. That Kaiser on Sunset. I was born at Cedars of Lebanon, which is now the big blue Scientology which, building. Exactly. That's where my grandmother sadly died. I'm sorry. Well, you know, she died of a heart attack and in that hospital. And so whenever I pass by... It's a little eerie. Yeah. That's been taken over. Yeah. So I was born in 1972 in that hospital and then Cedar Sinai oh. opened the next year. So I was like a year away from being born at like the fancy Beverly Hills hospital. Right. Exactly. Which is where, where Nick was born. Um, but yeah, so you so were, we're also, both like natives. It's ra- Yeah. It's rare. And uh, nearby because we were born, well, within years of each other. Yes. Why are we gonna say? Only like one. <laughs> More, <laughs> many more. We're super close. No, no, no. But so, are you like multi generational LA native? How far back do you no, go? No, not at all. Okay. My, both my parents were immigrants. Where are they from? So, Europe. What part of Europe? Well, one was from Austria, from Vienna, mm-hmm. and the other one was from London, England. And did they meet there or did they meet no, here? They met in, uh, well, they met in New York uh, at Cornell, to be specific. Okay. And uh, so that was way back in the 50s. And, um, you know, they were both, you know, affected by the war. Obviously, my dad was a Holocaust refugee, and my mom was caught up in London as a child during the Blitz and had to be evacuated and all that. And so both of them, I guess they had that, that in common and that history in common. 
And so that was one reason why they got together. It probably was nice to not have to explain that to somebody, right? They, exactly. They understood. Exactly. They understood. And, you know, they eventually got divorced, but my mom never married an American after that. Oh. Never. Who did and she marry after that? She had two more husbands oh. after that. And what countries were they from? <laughs> one was from Cuba, one was from Spain. Oh my gosh. I know. Were they both out here? They, she met them out here in LA? She did, in California. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. So what brought I them know. out to LA from New York? It is a long roundabout story, okay. but eventually my dad went to graduate school at UCLA and he settled here and ended up teaching at Cal State LA and she was a doctor and she was a doctor at Kaiser where I was born. Oh, wow. Yeah. Was she in OBGYN? She was not. She did not deliver me. Herself. She did not deliver me. Come on out. <laughs> you can do this. Just keep pushing. Exactly. And then I'm going to walk away. <laughs> While you are in pain, and I'll come back maybe five hours later and see what's happening. Very self-sufficient to this day because of it. Um, so, so she's a doctor, and your dad was a professor of English oh, literature at Cal State LA. Okay, yeah, right when it started, the whole master plan was just getting underway. Cal State was brand new, shiny, brand new campus, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, he was hired fresh out of UCLA grad school to go teach English there. What languages did you guys speak in your house? English. Just English, not, not like German. German. None of that. Nope. He did not speak German. I didn't, he didn't teach me a word of German except Gesundheit when I speak. Interesting. So I wonder like, did they want you to just be an American through and through like a lot of families who don't want their kids to have that? Like they, no, it just never occurred to him. Like for him, I think it was more a, I am not Austrian. I don't want to even be reminded of that. I am American. Um, you know, which is totally understandable. Sure. After everything that they had been through. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, have forced to leave and, and all that lucky mm-hmm. to leave, be able to have left. Yeah. Um, and so he, uh, he basically embraced his new country. He actually, when he was in high school, he had to learn English when he got here, he was 12 or 13 and he had to learn English. And he, when he was 16, he won the essay, best essay of why it's, why it's great to be an American. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's very sweet. Very sweet. Um, so you grew up in the Hollywood Hills, yes? I did. Okay. Where did you go to high school? Well, I actually went to high school in Northern California. Okay. my parents separated. Okay. And my mom moved up to Northern California, and so we lived with her up there. Okay. Yeah. So you didn't go to high school down here? Okay. No, no. Okay. Went to high school in Los Gatos. Okay. Oh, Los Gatos is fancy. Mm. Well, back then it wasn't that fancy. It, it was really... woodsy. It was, <laughs> it was just kind of like a suburban, uh, I don't know, just a suburban bedroom community. Mm-hmm. Tract houses. It was very not fancy. Because I think now it is. Now, I mean, now everything up there is fancy. Well, I know. You can't... Everything. Morgan Hill is fancy now, which is weird. Everything. Yeah. Cupertino is fancy. Yeah. Campbell is fancy, <laughs> if you can believe that. Right. Towns with very plain names. Yeah. Everything is overpriced <laughs> Because now. it was mm-hmm. just... They just plowed over the fruit um, orchards, right? The fruit mm-hmm. trees and all that, and just made subdivisions. And that's kind of what it was. It was sort of like Levittown up there. Um, and then now it's... Wow. So when you think like what feels like home to you, does LA feel LA like it feels char- like home to me? Okay, not, not the Bay Area. Well, you know, sometimes, but I really, I prefer it down here. Mm-hmm. But you went to Cal. Nobody's listening from up there, right? No, no. <laughs> they might. We, we broadcast everywhere. <laughs> from <Maryland>. up there. <laughs> They're just all still pissed that we're stealing their water. They all are. the water. I, don't you still hear that when you go up there? They're water stealers. Yeah. yeah. And then like they hate Dodgers, but Dodger fans, but we don't care about giant fans. Exactly. There's a whole inferiority complex still, I think. I, I do believe that. I, I believe that too. Okay. And maybe 
deserved? Do, am I going to fuel that? I don't know. I probably shouldn't. <laughs> rise above, rise above. So, do, but was, I do. I mean, this, I mean, I do feel like there's just more happening here in so many ways, don't you? I mean, I have lived in both, also. Sure. Yeah. So, I I met my husband in Salinas. Oh, if so, I know that whole yeah. area. But he went to high school and college in San Jose, and we met in San Salinas. Jose State. Yes, oh. there you go. He turned out fine. He did. Where did he go to high school? Gunderson. Oh yeah. There you go. There you go. See, I'm interviewing you, I, but you're interviewing me back. I, it's weird oh, to be on the receiving end of questions, I, isn't it's it? It's a little not so comfortable for me. I'm sorry. No, no. You're doing I mean, great. You're comfortable. <laughs> you make it very comfortable. <laughs> I try. But it, I'm just not used to answering the questions. Same. I like I like asking. Me too. <laughs> well, there's a control aspect there, which you can get into with your it's a conver- It's a conversation we're having. It's a, it's a back and forth. It is. It is more like that. Um, so, yeah. So we know it really, really well, but we also lived in the Bay Area up in Kensington, uh-huh. Up in the hills above Cal, where you're school, yes, and so I, we know it very, very well. So I would rather be here. I mean, there is a lot going on up there, but there's like an insularity well, to the north. First Norton of all, there. it's beautiful, it is. and it's green. I mean, you go up there, you're like, oh, that's what green? That's mm. that color? Oh, I get it. It's not like some weird brown, brownie <laughs> green. It's green, green. Yes, and it's beautiful. But it also feels a little. It just feels a little, like you say, like mm, a insular, a little like not on it. On what's happening. Whereas you can come it's to not LA. where the future is. Yeah, really. you, you, LA is changing and you, you can come to LA and be whoever you want to be, I, exactly. I feel like. Um, so, did you know in high school or growing up that you wanted to go into radio or, or go into news in some capacity? Was there always a love for that? You know, I don't know that I knew that per se, but I was on the high school newspaper. I really liked it, mm-hmm. it was really fun. And um, then in college, I worked at the college radio station. And I just did it as sort of an extracurricular thing to do. I get it. I don't have work to do. <laughs> but I, I don't know. And I just, I just, I guess I was attracted to it. And maybe I was attracted to news subliminally and I didn't know it. But I wasn't actively saying, I'm going to be a journalist. Um, you didn't know. What was your major in college? No, English. Okay. So did you know you wanted to be a writer in some way? No, I didn't really. I thought, I thought, well, maybe I would... This actually, I think, like looking back on it, I took a lot of psych classes and I thought, oh, well, maybe I'll be a psychologist. But when you think of, and we were just kind of talking about this, this interviewing thing, um, it is similar to that. And I've had many interview subjects say to me uh, after an interview, oh, it feels like a therapy session. Mm-hmm. I feel like I just had a therapy session. I've had that too with the podcast. People right? come and say, I feel so much better now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a nice feeling. It is a nice feeling. As opposed to asking, like, why did you kill your wife? (laughs) We're not asking those kinds of questions. Well, I think there are different Mm -hmm. kinds of interviews, right? I mean, there's the interview you do with a politician where it's not a therapy session at all. It's just more, you know, confrontational, um, less hanging out and having a cup of tea, which we're doing We are having green tea. We are having tea. In the afternoon. It's tea time. It's tea time at the dining room table. so nice. So you knew that you enjoyed that. And then were you like playing music? Was it a talk show? What kind of radio was it? So it was both. I um, worked in the news department at the mighty KALX, Calix. Mm -hmm. And uh, I also had a DJ show, radio show. And I had a special DJ name. I was going to ask you, did you ever change your name? Yes, of course. Because when you had to do that, then you had like funky names. What was your name? Um, My name was... (laughs) You guys should see she's cringing right now. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty funny. uh, It was Madam Bomb. Okay. B-O-M-B. Yeah. Where did that come from? Just my head. My head. It, it kind of sounds like Madeline Brand. Exactly. Yes. But you but were mad. 
And brand. Adam Bomb. Adam Bomb. Oh, I get it. It was a little, you know, a little badass. I get it. Whatever. I like it. You, I mean, I was on at like midnight or something. What did you so, play? What kind of music did you play back then? Oh, because so this was the 80s. So a bunch mm-hmm. of 80s stuff, like New Wave and Good. punk and things like that. I was really obsessed with the band X. Yes. From, from LA. She had to leave she Los Angeles. She had to leave Los Angeles, <laughs> go to Berkeley and get on the radio and... And then come back and then come eventually. Back. Yeah. yeah. Cause figure, so you're in the college in the 80s. Like there was so much great music then. You know, I, I'm still totally into all that new wave music myself. So we probably played all kinds of like Depeche Mode and The Smiths and The Cure. Oh, for sure. I loved all that stuff. And and so, yeah, that was really fun. We played vinyl and like I couldn't figure out exactly how to do the thing where you cue up the song so it hits it right then with the... Because no one really taught. And you're like, okay, here's your radio show. Go for it. Here are the albums. Just pick one. Right. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. So for a long time, I wouldn't do the whole quarter turn. You're supposed to do a quarter turn like a, on a clock. Like front, let's say you go from midnight to nine. Mm-hmm. But I would go like midnight to 10. So it'd be like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I was taking off. You look back now and you're like. Cringing. Oh. <laughs> That's nice. Are there tapes of this someplace? <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure there's bribing like cassette, material out cassette there. Cassette tapes out there. Yeah. So what is Cal like in the 80s? I mean, is, is Cal, California at this point is a pretty conservative place in the mid-80s. You know, Reagan is president. Pete Wilson is governor. Is it? A, is, does that conservatism make its way to a place like Cal, yeah. which has been a liberal bastion for so long? Oh, for sure. Did it? Okay. Oh, for sure. Well, I was really shocked when I got there and found out how strongly Greek life was there. Were you in a sorority? No. Okay. There were a lot of, but I went to, when it's a freshman, you go to the parties Mm -hmm. and then, you know, hope you don't get raped. But uh, (laughs) there's that. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. But it it was really prevalent. I was shocked. But Cal is such a big place that there's all this other stuff too. You Mm -hmm. know, there's, and also I was surprised the hippie culture was still alive and well. People going naked to class. Yeah, exactly. People who just like live in the trees to keep the trees from being cut down. I remember that. Wasn't there like somebody <laughs> oh, in a yeah, tree? There was. What was for a long time? Butterfly something or other. I Maybe it's probably more than one person who stayed in a tree for years at Cal. Yeah. But I recall tree sitting. Yeah, there's a lot of that. <laughs> and there was a lot of, there was the polka dot man. I remember him. <laughs> what did he do? He wore polka dots. <laughs> he was polka dotted and he would be in the middle of Sproul Plaza wearing his polka dotted outfit. Mm-hmm. And he never said anything, but sometimes he would follow people around and he was just a sweet, gentle soul, Mm -hmm. but the polka dot man, I mean, there were these characters, right? Um, It's all part of the whole Berkeley thing. I'm not sure if that's still there anymore. It must be, right? It must still be, I would think, in in some capacity. What do you think the tech money has changed it so much? I was there. Well, also the price of tuition is so much greater. When I was there, it was like... It's maybe $650 a semester wow. to go. That was mm-hmm. the tuition. So you had people there who were there for 10 years mm-hmm. who would take some classes and then drop out and then go back in and whatever. I mean, it was a great life for someone who didn't have a lot of... Ambition. Ambition. <laughs> Drive. Um, so, wh- so, but Cal was a good fit for you, it sounds like, like ideologically, learning-wise. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, it, 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 I mean, it wasn't the best place on the planet. I mean, it had definitely had its minuses, but I think all told, it, it was great. You had to really carve out your own thing, though. There's no one holding your hand. Interesting. Right. There's no like counselor saying, okay, this is your major. You got to have X, no. Y, and Z classes because it's a giant place. Well, they give you a piece of paper and they're like, <laughs> if you want to be an English major, make sure you take all these classes if you want to graduate. Okay. Good luck. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's okay. a giant place with a million 30, classes. Yeah. students. Mm-hmm. And so you can get lost there yeah. as a 17 year old when you arrive and 
you've never left your little bedroom community in the Silicon Valley. <laughs> how did, how did you so, do, how'd you navigate that? How'd you figure that out? Um, you know, kind of trial and error, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it's interesting that both of us are, both of us are parents. Mm-hmm. And I think the parenting style back then was a lot like, well, figure it out. Mm-hmm. And so you either didn't or you did. I'm not saying that that was better parenting style than the parenting style we have now, which is a lot more hands-on. I think that's better what we're doing now, even though we get criticized for being helicopters all the time. What's the one? Or snow plows? Is that the other one? Lawn mower is like a lawn mower. Oh, where you clear the path? Yeah, snow plows. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I like that. I know. So (laughs) the metaphor of that. Yeah, I mean, I do look back and I think like all the stuff that I did that you know my own kid would not do. And part of that's like the part of LA we live in, like just, you know, going out and playing in the street. Like he can't go play in the street. He'll get hit by no. a car. No, a big car because <laughs> someone's texting. Yeah. Yeah. That too. But I think about, I used to go down to like the store by myself, like and to, thrift, to you, thrifty. Where was this? Woodland Hills in yeah, the valley. So the valley. Yeah. So yeah. like like suburbia, like the safety and sanctity of suburbia. But you know, we lived in a cul-de-sac. That's like. But we can't do that the here. ideal of suburbia. Yeah. That's why they moved there. And you rode your bike around all yeah. the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I did the same thing yeah. in Los Gatos. It was exactly the same. Yeah. And we turned out fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we did. Others, well, our, well, our children. Yeah. No. <laughs> so, so, you're, so you're at Cal, and then, but then you went to Columbia for your master's for journalism. So at this point, yeah. do you realize you want to go into news in some capacity? Yeah, so then I, got, I sort of worked around for a little bit. I moved out to Buffalo for my first job. Oh, my God. I know. What did you report on in Buffalo? Uh, the snow. snow. <laughs> it's it's cold that's, again that's today. not news in Buffalo, <laughs> let me tell you. How's the weather? It was news to me. I, was, I had no idea how to live in snow. It must have been a shock in, a in shock. every way. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it was. Uh, just cleaning the ice off your windshield every morning that you have to do, <sighs> chipping it off. I had no idea. And then people would drive around and they would just chip off like a little bit just for their <laughs> eyes. Very film noir. Yeah. Just have like the eyes right. illuminated. Exactly. <laughs> and they're just driving around looking through this little hole. That doesn't sound very safe either. Doesn't, but the, you know. <laughs> so you're in Buffalo and you're like, how do I get out of Buffalo? <laughs> as soon as I landed, looked around and said, okay. Mm-hmm clocks a ticking. This is your first job. My first job. So that was the thing in the media back then. I don't know if it's the same thing for the youngins today, but you would just go to a tiny market, a smaller market, I should say, and work your way up into the big markets. That's kind of how it worked. And I think it's still a good thing. I got to do a ton of stuff. Like I hosted the morning news and the afternoon news and I started a show. That's kind of like what I did now. Mm -hmm. And, um, did reporting too at the same time and and did national i fed npr and i did a lot, like a lot of things it was an npr station in buffalo yeah. so you, you've always worked in npr in some capacity mm-hmm, okay mm-hmm. and so i could do a lot of things so then after that experiment was over after a year and a half i moved to boston and worked there and then i moved to new york okay and that's when i went to graduate school and then um continued in the radio biz, actually. So what told you that you wanted to go to Columbia? Like, Why, why was having a master's an important thing for Well, you? I thought, okay, well, I should diversify in case this radio thing doesn't work out. So I should learn another skill, like print. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know how to do print reporting. So I thought, oh, well, I'll do print reporting, thinking that was the future. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> <laughs> Newspapers will always be around, Ex- right? <laughs> right. People are always going to need to get their news in the morning with their coffee. <laughs> I know. Cover to cover. On a piece of paper. (laughs) So that was in 92 I graduated. So that was right before the internet thing took off. And um, so then there was a recession and I found another job at a radio station and I just kept doing that. Because there's always the the argument between 
when you go into journalism? Do you go straight from college, from your undergrad degree, and just go work at a little newspaper or go work at a little TV station yeah. and make your mistakes? Or do you go to someplace like Medill or like Columbia, an amazing journalism school like Columbia, mm-hmm. and get the master's degree? So I, I, didn't, I did the former. I just went ahead and like worked at little paper. So I wonder, what, what does it do for you? How does it help you to have the master's degree? Like, what did that teach you? Well, I think, and just to be totally, totally honest, um, because who's listening? Really? <laughs> the world. But um, <laughs> a few hundred people, maybe a couple thousand if we're lucky. <laughs> I think that it is more about the name on your resume and the people you meet. The doors that will open. There. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like the professors that you have are at the top of their field, usually, um, like, David Remnick came in the lecture, that kind of stuff. Um, and then your fellow classmates, mm-hmm. which is always the case when you go to an Ivy League school, right? That, that's kind of like what it's more about is networking than the actual knowledge. And then you're in New York already. So let's say you want to go work for, you know, a station in New right. York or CNN or whatever. Right. You're, you're right it's there. easy to do that or mm-hmm. go back and teach, which I did. I taught at Columbia. You taught documentary? Documentary, yeah. Documentary radio. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what was that like? What what was your class like? What did you tell them? That was really fun. Well, because I took it over from a guy named Joe Richmond. I don't know if you know him. He's a sort of a legendary public radio producer. And he was like, oh, I'm going to South Africa for a year or two. Do you want to take my class over? And I was like, okay. (laughs) I don't know. Had you ever taught before? I never taught before. I didn't know what to do. And Mm -hmm. he's like, don't worry. I'll help you. I'll give you what... Uh, I'll give you some pointers. The best thing about it was a woman that he worked with was still there and she helped me. Okay. And she knew all the technology and how to, you know, do that part of it. And so basically what I did was I did what we're doing now, told stories Mm -hmm. about what it's like to be in the business and tips and that. And then I would give them, you know, various assignments and, and then, We'd play what they did the week before, talk about it, talk about how they could make it better. I would bring in like, you know, guest lecturers like Alex Bloomberg, who is the founder of Gimlet now, but worked for This American Life at the time. So people like that. It sounds fun. It was really fun. So it's more like a seminar on how to make radio. But I can imagine it's daunting, like you have these young minds right. in your hands and you it don't want was. to screw it up. And I learned a lot too, like, cause you do your job and you don't really think about how you do it. You just do it. But when you're forced to explain it to people and teach them how to do it, you're forced to under, figure out why you do certain things and why you are making these mistakes. And that's probably pretty beneficial. It's then. Good. You kind of learn more. I think yeah. I probably learned more than they did over and over again. You're having, to, you're having to like reassess your own decision-making process and yeah. Right. And and like, okay. You. So how do you structure a story? So we would get, we would just pull a story apart and just analyze it and, and what it makes a story, what it doesn't make a story. Why would you interview this person and not that person? Where would you put the piece of sound in here? Who would you need to call to get this X information? All that kind of stuff. That goes into making a good story. Mm-hmm. So you, you kind of don't think about it when you're doing it. You just do it. And then, so it's, it is, it's helpful. So at this point, radio is clearly your path, right? Mm-hmm. What is it about radio at this point that really you love? Like well, what, what drew you to it? I mean, it's kind of like what you do right now with podcasting. There's something really intimate about it and just hearing, being in on a conversation with a couple of people. It's just a great, I don't know. It's, I, I think radio is unique in the sense that it provides not only that sense of intimacy and that sense of uh, 
kind of the heart connection, the soul connection, but also the intellectual connection because you're always learning things too. Um, yeah, you do, you are when you're reading in print, but you don't have that kind of visceral connection necessarily, unless it's a really, really great piece of writing, right? <laughs> but often when you're reading a newspaper story, it's just, you know, who, what, when, where, why, mm-hmm. how, whatever. And you're having coffee, you're having breakfast, and you're you just doing want to get something else. And, yeah. and you can step away. But when you're in your car, like mm-hmm. most people are in your car when they're listening to the radio or podcast, it's just you and the voices you're listening to. Mm-hmm. It's so intimate. It's, it's great. I mean, I, I always hear from people who say, I feel like I know you. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I've only Is seen you. Get you. That? Yeah. I mean, no, but as far as feeling like I, I know you, like I have literally only seen you in one place in my entire life and that's on the, on the other side of a microphone. Right. right. And yet I feel like we're friends, like we're good friends. I feel right. like I know you, you know, and now you're seeing me on the other side of my microphone. I know. Exactly. Like, there is an outside world out there. There, there is. is. Yeah. There might be without headphones and microphones, but, what? um, <laughs> why bother? But, but I, there, yeah, there is like an, an instant accessibility definitely to that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And it's you like, can really, you can really activate people's imaginations in a way that you can't I don't think with any other medium like TV, they're telling you what to look at. They're telling you what to see. Um, or, and, and I think with radio, you use your own imagination to fill it it's in a little more active. Mm-hmm. It can be, or it can also be just wallpaper as well. Yes. If you're folding laundry. Yeah. It can be in the background. <laughs> like, you know, ver- verbal music. So at what point do you get out to LA? Cause you, you were, before you were at KCRW, you were at KPCC for a bit. At what point does that happen? Oh, so before that I was with NPR for a long time. In and New York? <clears throat> in lots of places. Well, in Washington mm-hmm. to begin with, um, I did a little work overseas and then, um, and then in New York and and then in LA and here in Culver city, I was with a show called day to day. So that was NPR's big foray into doing midday news. Cause so they already had morning edition for the morning and all things considered in the afternoon. And they thought, okay, we need to fill the midday. So they created this big show called day to day. And they had this fancy new production place, uh, in Culver city and PR West. And I'm like, all right, uh, we'll do the midday show from there. Cut to, 2008, 2009. Right. Things changed. <laughs> a lot of things changed. <laughs> a lot of the fancy went out mm-hmm. the door. Mm-hmm. And uh, they cut all the shows that originated out of the West. But so, there's still a studio there. Well, right. On Jefferson. So, yeah, yeah. And now they've repopulated it now that the economy is better. Okay. But at the time, they said uh, they freaked out because they all of a sudden lost a ton of money. It's public radio. And they freaked out <laughs> and they said, okay, we're cutting these shows. So they had two shows out of NPR West, Day to Day and News and Notes, which was an African-American themed show. And those were cut. A lot of the correspondents who were working there, like Kim Masters, lost her job, lost their jobs. So basically the entire, all of it was decimated. Except for the morning edition host and a couple of her producers. And that happened to to newspapers. You know, it, kill, oh, yeah. it happened to every kind of media. But I'm sure that public radio in particular really gets hit hard. It did. It did get hit hard. Or at least that had never happened to NPR at that scale. Mm-hmm. So it was really, people were just freaked out. Because another thing about NPR is once you get in, it's really difficult to get out. I mean, it, it People go; they're lifers at NPR, <laughs> and there's there's a certain cachet to that. I would assume to right. have that kind I mean, of longevity. It's sort of the pinnacle of public public radio is to work in NPR, and so I was like, oh, here I am, I made it. This is my dream, and it was my dream for a long time. Why? Just because I loved it so much, and I always wanted to work at the network at the network level, and it was fantastic. It was great, 
um, I covered uh, the Gore campaign in that in the 2000 election. I got to fly all over the country. I got to work in um, London. Uh, I worked all over the country doing stories that I wanted to do. I worked in Washington, in uh, Pentagon. I worked on Capitol Hill. I worked at the White House. I mean, I did tons of stuff like that, mm-hmm. which is great. And you could really, at that time, at NPR, pretty much, if you had ambition and the ability, you could do whatever you wanted to. So did you just say, like, I want to go and I hosted cover this? all the shows, yeah. all Morning Edition, All Things Considered, mm-hmm. Weekend, um, Talk of the Nation, all of that stuff. Remember the Talk of the Nation? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was great. That so much opportunity. And so there was lots to do within the network. And so you're like, oh, well, if I get bored doing this, I'll do another job. You just you see an opportunity and you pounce on it and, yeah. and they let you. You're like, oh, I want to be a foreign correspondent. Well, I'm going to try out for that and maybe get that. That seems unusual, though, to have that kind of mobility. Like, it'd be easy to say, nah, you're this. Right. You're this and you're good at this. So just stay doing this. That sounds nice that they give you the, that kind well, of Well, it might be a, a different levels, but I guess when you're on air, I guess you're on air, you're on air. So mm-hmm. you'd be like, nobody asked me to run a show or be a producer. Let's get that. Clear. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, you're on air. <laughs> but so what is it about the, the tone of NPR that always appealed to you about that approach to news gathering? Well, I think it, because you could, well, tons of freedom for one. Um, the intellectual rigor for two, the journalistic rigor, of course. So I think that's pretty rare. Mm-hmm. And still, it's pretty rare. Right. When everything else is getting simplified and dumbed down. Right. A place like NPR, or like I used to work for the Associated Press. Yeah. A place like that will always be like a standard that you know you can go to and they're right. going to be solid. Exactly. And, yeah. You trust the journalism. And mm. that's the same with NPR. And also, at the time, everyone was cutting back on foreign reporting. NPR was expanding foreign mm. reporting. Like, there's just a commitment to the news and serious issues that you don't really get in lots of places. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's more now that there's podcasting and right. there's more available and people can find what they want. But at the time, podcasting didn't exist. Mm-hmm. And I think broadcast-wise or you know, public radio, that was it. There was really nothing else. And NPR was at the top of that. And how did you learn to hone your, your NPR voice? This is <laughs> you actually, you do not have that. You have your very normal conversational voice. You know, you go back voice. and listen to my old NPR stories <laughs> and I have that. Can you do it now? <laughs> I actually can't. I was listening to it the other day. I was like, who is that? Who's out of body experience, the, the former but Madeline. I spoke a lot slower and a lot more seriously because <laughs> I wanted to be taken very seriously. Is that why they talk that way? That is why they talk that way. It's soothing and it's serious. <laughs> So is there like a school, is there like a class they give you to, to do the NPR voice? No. Or, or I must, think you just you pick just it up. It. You just, it's sort of like a biosmosis. You're in there and all of a sudden it takes over. That's exactly the word I was going to use. I was going to say osmosis, osmosis and you beat me to it. Um, so the, the SNL skit where they make fun of, of uh, NPR is totally dead on then. Totally dead on. You so, mean the delicious dish? Um, is, is it like with, that, Will, with Will Ferrell? It's an old one, right? With, with Will Baldwin Ferrell, maybe. Too? Yes, 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 yes. The sweaty balls. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But I, you know, know. I think that's a, I think that is making fun of good food with KSRW's good food show. Oh. That's what I think that is. It's a is. very specific thing. Yeah. Because NPR never had a food show. Oh. So, but 
I mean, for people who aren't <laughs> deep into the weeds here, KCRW is a member station mm-hmm. of NPR, mm-hmm. and KCRW produces local shows like mine and mm-hmm. Good Food, and then NPR does the network, the national stuff. Mm-hmm. And we and NPR used to would distribute some shows like Fresh Air and things mm-hmm. like that. Anyway, so I think there's a confusion of what's what NPR right. is. Like everyone thinks, oh, when they turn on the radio, that's NPR. But you are a member. But it's not. And there are two stations in LA. Right. There's another, there's another one in Pasadena <laughs> where you worked briefly, which we don't have to I talk did. about. No, we can talk about it. We, we could have, totally up to you. You were there briefly. I was there briefly. At, How many years were you at KPCC? I think I want to say two. I'm not, okay. I don't quite remember. And you had a show and it was really Maybe popular two. and people really liked it. It was popular. Mm-hmm. And it was on, because I think a lot of it was the time it was on. It was on at 9 a.m. And I think in this town, people are still driving around. They're dropping their kids off or they've just dropped their kids off or they're going to work, you know, later. And, uh, so that, that filled a need, I think the nine to 10 AM slot for news for, and also it had some local flavor to it. So. And you were doing something different with it. You you were having fun with it. I was having fun with it. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And it was, it was kind of fun to create your own show. And, and, and we did it with, it was just me and one other producer. And then we hired two other people. So it was really just four people. That's amazing. For at the beginning. And then it got bigger. Because now on the show you have now, how big is your staff now? Well, right now we have, I mean, we're budgeted, we have fill, lots of fill-ins back and forth, but we're really budgeted for, I think, five or six producers in me. Mm-hmm. So six producers. So more, more help. Um, yeah. So your show was on for a couple of years and they added somebody to be your co-host. They did. They did. Yeah. How'd that did. go? <laughs> well, I'm no longer there. Yeah. So that's how well that went. Yeah. Um, that must have been very frustrating, though, that whole situation. Well, it was frustrating because I created the show, and um, and then it was not my show anymore. Right. And so, and then I just saw the way, it wasn't just the co-host. It was like they wanted to do a certain thing that I didn't want to do with the show. They wanted to um, just make it less fun, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And not that I have all fun and games on the show. Like, I have a lot of journalism on my show now, but... I like to find the kind of offbeat stories, like we were talking earlier about the dog blood banks. <laughs> there's a dog blood bank. <laughs> Listen to Madeline's show today. You'll find out there's <laughs> a dog blood bank. So um, it's an LA Times story. Let's be honest. Let's give credit where credit is due, but still. Um, so I, I think the whole tone of it, I was just kind of, there was just a whole other thing happening there at the station and the tone of the show was going to change dramatically. And I just thought, I really don't want to do this. I don't want to spend my days pushing this boulder up a hill that I don't want to do. So I didn't. Good. Okay. So you left. That's left. good. And, and, you know, good. and I think then someone came up to me a couple of years later and said, you know, I was doing this job. I think she said she was a photographer and this was at an event. She came up to me afterwards and she said, I want to tell you that the fact that you left really inspired me to say, I don't have to put up with a bad job. Like I, I can, I can leave my job too and find something better. Good. And I just want to say that that's, it is risky to do that. Right. Um, but sometimes you have to think you have one life to live and why not? I did that too. Around the same time you that did? you did. Yeah. 2013, I left the AP. And was it scary? Um, I didn't, yeah, I didn't have a job. I left for absolutely nothing. And I, I had wanted to leave for a long time because they kept changing my job. I, I was primarily a film critic. I was the AP's film critic and they were trying to figure out how to survive in a world where like, you know, TMZ was changing 
entertainment coverage. The internet was changing entertainment coverage. Twitter was changing the speed with which people consumed news. Yeah. And the AP is this, you know, giant behemoth, you know, old organization, and they were trying to figure out how to keep up. And so they kept changing everyone's job and like they adding celebrity beat stuff to everyone's jobs and, and um, chipping away a little by little at what I was doing. And like, we all got assigned celebrities that they wanted us to cover. Like I was assigned Reese Witherspoon and Penelope Cruz, and they wanted us to break news on our people that we were assigned arbitrarily. And um, so what would that mean? Would you have to like stalk them in some yeah, way? Yeah. They you wanted to paparazzi they, them. Yeah. They wanted us to get like phone numbers, like cell phone numbers and like do beat checks, you know, and how would you do that? Hey, I don't know. Reese, what are you up to? Yeah. I mean, call her publicist or her agent or whatever. They wanted us to be competing with like the people magazines of I the see. world who operate in an entirely different manner. Yeah. Right. Completely. They want to still be the AP. Some of them have, you know, people on the payroll. I'm not saying People Magazine does, but National Enquirer. Places like that do, right? So they wanted to still be the AP and have all the standards of being the AP, but they wanted to compete on the level with like Harvey Levin, who has Mm -hmm. people at the courthouse, you know. Exactly. So it just, it was never going to work. And then they were, then they said to me, you can only do two film reviews a week and you have to spend the rest of your time on celebrity news. Um, They were actually using Hollywood Reporter reviews instead of mine on on the AP wire, which I found very insulting. Yeah. And then my longtime colleague, Dave Germain, who had been there for like 25 years up and left because he was miserable too. And then the next day they assigned me all of his stuff and they're like, you're going to go to junkets and you're going to do weekend box office shifts and this and this and that. And Nick was like three and a half at this point. He's my only child and he will always be my only child. And I just realized like, I'm not going to see my family anymore. And I had wanted to leave for a long time, but I had no plan B. And then when we realized how quickly everything was going to change for us, my husband and I talked about it and he's like, yeah, I think now is, now is the time. And so I left and I, I had no job. And like the day I announced on Twitter that I was leaving, like three different possible jobs came my way. So I just sort of jumped into the vortex and and made the leap. And so it can happen. You can leap. Yeah. And the same thing. We'll catch you. Same thing you did. So the same thing happened to you, right? Like stuff came your way when you left, right? Absolutely. I mean, I had no plans to do a TV stint. And but you, then someone called me and said, hey, why don't you come and do this TV thing? On PBS, okay. right? Yeah. Okay. So I was on KCT and I did that for a little bit. So Kelly connected, which was fun to learn how to do that, to learn what it's like to have tons of makeup put on you. <laughs> which I have right now. <laughs> yeah. It's know, itchy. You know from TV. It's very itchy. Um, I used to go to the grocery <laughs> store afterwards and people would look at me like, seriously, who is that drag queen? Because <laughs> I had so much makeup on, it looked ridiculous. And yet it's LA. So I would assume that maybe that's normal because everyone's just coming from some audition or, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, I guess, so, I guess yeah. so. Um, so how was TV briefly, how was TV compared to all your time in radio? Did you like it? Yeah, it was okay. I mean, mm-hmm. I loved radio more. Obviously I went back to radio and I thought, because all the makeup stuff, it really takes a long time. It's, just, <laughs> it's nice to roll out of bed. <laughs> really the makeup. Mm-hmm. It was the makeup and the hair. The hair mm-hmm. was always an issue. How does it get, how do you get the hair right? So, uh, and then I, and then you're not really spending that long. Like a TV interview is really, uh, I mean, if at five minutes, it's long. Right. Right. Six minutes. It's really long. And so you wanted to do it's more like a documentary. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and so you wanted to do more substantive and we're, and stuff. We're just yeah. getting started. <laughs> what minute are we into here? Christine? Do you, you want to know? Yeah. 39. See? Right. But doesn't it feel like it's just, just breathing by? Right. And you wanted to leave. I do not want to leave. Now, I never want to leave. 
You wanted to go home and make get me off this mic. Ever. You wanted to go home and make dinner for your family, and now I'm not going to let you do this. <laughs> it's the Christy and Madeline show now, um, and sometimes it's the Madeline and Christy show. I know your name can be first it, alphabetically. No, no, you you're first. That's this fine. is your show. It's my, my, my little table. Um, so you did that briefly. That was fun. But now you have press play at yeah. KCRW, and that's been for a few years now. It's been now. like five years now. It's amazing. Yeah. I know. That flew by. Yeah. Just like today. It just flew by five years. Yes. So, so. With, with that, so how does that work when you go someplace and create a new show? Like, could you make it exactly what you wanted it to be? Or was it a team of folks coming up with the name and the tone and the structure? How does it work? Yeah. I mean, well, there's the, there's the parameter of it's got to be a daily show. So there's that. That's a big parameter. Right. So it's hard to fill something every day that's not news-based necessarily. So, because that's what's happening. And, and also we want it to be relevant. So the general idea was, okay, you'll be on at noon. So you're basically going to be a bridge between morning becomes eclectic and the rest of the news day. Cause the rest of the afternoon is news and into until eight o'clock when Garth comes on. So it was going to be, so I thought of it as like this cool mix of hard and feature. And so that's why I thought, oh, let me think of kind of like Madame Bomb. Let me think of a pun because <laughs> I'm a fan of the pun. Yes. So I came up with the name Press Play because I thought, okay, well, it's press as in news, as in the press. And then it's Press Play right now. It starts. And then play is like playful too. So it's like the news with this press and the play is playful. So it's the news and the fun together. Mm-hmm. It is. So I'm, I'm amazed at how you guys do it, especially in the world in which we live now. Like how do you balance planning out shows for several days with, you know, several produced segments, but also being able to like on the fly respond to breaking news, whether it's a school shooting or it's like William Barr lies to Congress or whatever it is. Like yeah. how, how do you balance those two instincts there? Well, we know we set aside the first segment of the show, which is the A segment. We call it the A segment. We divide them very imaginatively into A, B, C, and D. It's the half of that. Exactly. <laughs> it's not heavy lifting. Very complicated. Uh, so the A segment is reserved for the harder news of the day because we figure, well, when you come out of Jason, you're not necessarily focused on the news. You don't know what's happening. You want a refresher, like what's been happening as I've been listening to music, if you're a hardcore KCRW listener. And so we thought, okay, well, let's make that the news. And then the B segment is kind of more featurey news, sort of softer news, and maybe a news story that wouldn't necessarily have to go that day, but could go that week. Let's it say. could get bumped if like, if there's breaking news, you could bump it to like tomorrow. For sure. Okay. So there's that. And then the C, this is all loose. So the C is the bigger featurey pieces, like the long interview with the author, with the actor, with the director, with the painter, what have you. And then the D is something fun, something weird and fun. I don't know. Like when I come on and talk about movies with <laughs> Amy Nicholson or whoever the it is. You You're the C. You know that. You're always at the C. But sometimes we do end the show with you because yes. it's fun to yes. end the show that way. Um, how significantly has your job changed or has the tone or, or the approach of the show changed in the last two years? Oh, my gosh. What happened <laughs> two years ago? Um, I mean, did it just turn everything upside down? Significantly. Yeah. We never covered an Obama or a White House press conference. 
remember when they used to hold White House press conferences? It's been a long it's time. Been a while. It's been like 30 some odd, 30 plus days since there's been one. More, more. right? Actually more. What am I saying? Has she done, has she done one this year? I think year? she's one done. Yeah, they did some in January and that's pretty much it. Yeah. Maybe some in February. And then again, know. it's like, why bother? Because no actual information comes out of them. Well, I had to do a segment <laughs> on that actually recently. And uh, the person I interviewed, Paul Farhi, I believe, from the Washington Post, really defended the Washington, that press conference because, the White House press conference, because he said, look, this is a moment where you have an ability to hold White House officials accountable and get them on the record. They may not say anything, but at least they're on the record. Squirming. And you can go back yeah. to it, you know, as people did. Right. Because as she famously yeah. Saturday Night Live did with Sean Spicer. Oh my God. That <laughs> was amazing. Yes. That was fun back then. Now it's not fun anymore. <laughs> no. But yeah, but recently yeah, we had this thing with Sarah Sanders, like lying to everyone about, I'm, I'm blanking now because they're all, it's all a blur, but yeah. This was about the FBI and the, and the Mueller report mm. and the, all the agents basically saying yes. Oh, right. All the FBI hates Comey. Yeah. yeah. Right. And saying, that's not yay, true. got rid of Comey. And not that, true. That's not true. So, so then, so do you so it put does, more time yeah, no, in? That? I mean, the other day, yesterday, we were like, uh, some a producer asked me because there was the bar hearings, and she was assigned to cover it. Wow, did this happen so frequently before that there would be these hot political hearings that we would cover and have to put on the show as soon as they happen? And I said, well, where have you been in the last two years? Yeah, she goes, no, I meant before. I'm mm-hmm. like, what? Oh no, no, there were never these hearings before i'm sure like did they go live with like clinton impeachment hearings well they did that 25 years ago sure yeah Yeah. Yeah. i was in washington working for npr okay something like that that. they they break in and go wall to wall with it. he's only one of two presidents who's been impeached so yeah that's historic you can't be doing your segment about like composting (laughs) (laughs) that's that's the d segment (laughs) do you like that shift though or would you prefer to have like a, a more fun eclectic mix of stuff on your show well, I think I do like it. I like the balance of it. Mm-hmm. I like, I like, because I really love the news now. It's mm-hmm. so interesting to me. And I love the ideas and the, and I mean, we're in a historic moment right now. It's, and to just try to make sense of it, not only for me, but for listeners is, is really exciting for me. But I also really love these kinds of conversations, mm-hmm. you know, the sort of lean in. We had a, we had Werner Herzog on the show today. And everything he said sounded like this. <laughs> we are all but a plastic bag <laughs> wafting through the breeze. I can't, I can't even do it right. You, but, yeah. but was was it magical? It was, was it magical, magical having him there? Yeah. And I couldn't believe he was like this far away the way we are. Just like, this is where Werner Herzog. Oh my Fantastic. God. Oh my God. Just really? read the phone book to me. Werner Herzog. <laughs> yes, exactly so. So yeah, there was a point where he said, we were talking about his new movie, Meeting Gorbachev, and he said, you know, this was the last interview. I can't see. I can't do it either. It's, it's hard to do it right. It's very hard to do it right. <laughs> so I won't even try. So this is the last interview that Gorbachev, he said, this is the last interview that Gorbachev wanted mm-hmm. to give. And he didn't refuse to give it to a journalist. He wanted to give it to a poet. Okay. Interesting. So he called himself a poet. That's good. As he's looking at me, the journalist. <laughs> you can't ask me the right questions. How do you find time when, when it is such a historic time and yet you also want to be on top of pop culture? How do you find time to read everything, to watch everything, to, to be on top of stuff? I don't. Okay. And, and you're a wife and you're a mom. How do you find time to do it don't. all? Don't. I don't. Mm-hmm. No one does it all. Yeah. As you know. Mm-hmm. Right? It's, it's I mean, a, something the, myth, the myth of being able to have it's, it all. It's yeah. a total myth. I used to think it wasn't a myth, but oh. 
people saying it is a myth. That's a myth. No, it's a myth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. realized it's a myth. Either you don't go to the gym yeah, or your or, kids haven't eaten or whatever it is. Or, yeah, or my kids are doing Postmates or whatever <laughs> and or what have you. Something's got to fall. And honestly, that's why I have producers. Like they have to be on top of the thing. I, I have so many things to do for this, as they call it, the C segment of the show, be it read a book or watch TV shows or a movie or documentary or blah, blah, blah. And they only have one thing that's their segment that Mm -hmm. they produce. So they have to really be on top of that. So, you know, sometimes if it's not a novel, I'm not going to read every book cover to cover. So there's no time. There's absolutely no time. Yeah. So, so they help you out and they help pre-produce it for mm-hmm. you. Okay. All right. And that's what producers right. are for. Okay. I mean, that's their job. That's why they love their job because they get to learn things too and yeah. do interesting things. But you do have a life outside of radio, which includes I painting. <laughs> I love that you paint. Oh yeah. That's You're really... good. No, I'm not. No, you thank are. Thank you for saying that. No, but the fact that you have both like the verbal side in you and the artsy creative side in you, it's like, that's, that's extraordinary to have both. No, oh, well, thank you. You're too <laughs> kind. And I do mean too kind because <laughs> I don't really have the artsy side. It's just a release. It's once a week and I go to a painting class and do oil painting. It's really fun. And it's more like a social thing because it's a bunch of women my age and we drink wine and paint. So it's like paint and sip, but it's good. Paint and sip. But it's good, though. Well, we think it's good because we've been sipping. (laughs) You're like, I feel really good about my brush work tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Pass the Chardonnay. Um, That's really funny. But you've been doing it for a little while, it seems, for a few years. I've been doing it for a long time, longer than I care to admit, because when I look at my paintings, I'm like, really? I've been doing it that long, and that's all I have to show for it? But I really enjoy it. It's really great release because it is using the other side of your brain, if that's such a thing. Just zone out, paint. And also someone mentioned to me the other day, this is something that's really hard for you. And I've been doing radio and journalism for most of my adult life. So it's not that difficult for me. Um, and you think you get to a certain point in your life where you master something and you're like, Oh, okay. But painting, it's not like that at all. It's really, really hard for me and I get very frustrated. So I think that's good. I would think too, that it really requires your focus. And so you can't think about work. And you can't think about what's bothering you. Or exactly. You have one to of focus on this thing things. right now. It's a zone thing. Like You're focusing yoga. on little things. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's like that where you just, everything falls away. And the thing I love about painting is it really teaches you to look. And I'm not used to that, right? I'm used to thinking and reading and being in my head. But it really teaches you to look and see things and to see the beauty in, in things. Like when the light hits the leaves out there, like I wonder, oh, well, that's... What, what color would I use to paint that? And then you, you're seeing it in that way. You're seeing it as a shape and as light, and it's just beautiful. And then do you small. store that away in your brain for when you do paint something that looks like that? Are you just constantly looking around you and storing it all I'm away? I'm not constantly doing that, but I'm just using that as an example because yeah. mm-hmm. I just saw some yeah. pretty... <laughs> the, sun, the sun is setting. The sun is, yeah. I just saw that out there, and I don't believe me. I don't go around like that. I wish I did. <laughs> then I'd be like, wow, you're constantly on an acid trip. That's nice. <laughs> That's the Werner Herzog in you, the poet in you at all times. I want to ask you also really fast about your building, the building that you and your husband renovated. Oh, right. Okay. So this is a Schindler apartment building in Silver Lake. And, um, well, he did all the renovating. I just live in it. But you helped. (laughs) Well, I appreciated. (laughs) Let's say I appreciated. He did all the work. So 
I'm like, oh, this is nice. Good job. Good job, honey. Um, so so what is, is an old apartment building that, that Schindler designed? Just describe the building, if you would, uh, please. Okay, so it's a, an apartment building that he built in, I believe, 1938-39. It's actually two buildings, and I live in one of them, or an apartment in one of them. And they were designed kind of like a Greek village, a little thing in it like so they stair step up the hill a little bit and the idea was for people to be able to have commute like a communal backyard so for people to have some kind of community like a greek village um and every apartment is is um different unique and his idea was to integrate the outside with the inside indoor outdoor nature he wanted from every view to have an unobstructed view of nature it's very california yeah very california right (laughs) but here's a guy from um you know he's from europe and he came here and he uh learned at the at the feet of frank lloyd wright and then he took it further than frank lloyd wright and um yeah, it's just really incredible to live in that. I'm really lucky. You live in a piece of art. I do. It's really beautiful. It's historic. It's so lovely. It's, did you guys see the building and see that it was for sale and realize yeah. we've got to have this? Or how did, how did that even begin? Well, yeah. So we bought it from the original owner. So it was built for this woman. Her name is um, Luby Bubeshko. And she was 19 when they built oh the house. And she was in her late 80s when she sold it. So she lived there her entire life, her and her mom. Wow. Yeah. And her mom was a Russian immigrant and they lived there and they had a a whole bunch of interesting people move in and out of the apartments and artists and architects and potters and musicians and all sorts. It was very bohemian. And when you look back and you think of like the thirties and what was being built here in Los Angeles and you see that, which is concrete and windows and wood, it's revolutionary. Because so much of what was built in the 20s and the 30s here is like, like we are currently in a Spanish-style duplex, right? right? Which is super charming <laughs> in you. L.A. But a lot of L.A. is like it. that. Yeah. yeah. Or it's like Tudors, right? Right, right. It's or like craftsmen. Sort of that, that's sort of Spanish, the Spanish style and all that. And it, was, it wasn't this, whatever he was doing in the 30s. People must have looked at him as, oh, what is this stuff? Yeah. So you saw it and you said, we have to have it. And then you renovated it. Yeah. And it was difficult because originally the didn't want to sell to us and she wanted to sell all the buildings in an empty lot altogether and we couldn't afford it and we had to figure out how to finance it and all that stuff and um and then we had to actually convince her that we were the ones that she should hand this thing that she devoted her life to wow that's a lot of pressure a lot right (laughs) So how did you persuade her to do it? But we did. Well, that we had we had done similar renovations uh, in New York and where we had moved from, and we talked about raising our family there and not you know fluffing and flipping it, which is true. We did that, and she wanted that. She wanted a family to live in it and to take care of it and to love it and to love like it she and did. to appreciate it like she did. Yeah, mm. and and I think we have and we did and she and we convinced her that we would and we and so hopefully we lived up to that promise. So you guys are staying there forever. You're not leaving also there. Also because once you've mm-hmm. got a piece of real estate in LA, you can't move anywhere. That's true. <laughs> what not, are you not, do? not in LA. You what can't, are you going to yeah, do? Yeah. <laughs> you, you move to like Tehachapi. <laughs> you can't, yeah, you cannot you buy cannot in LA. Buy in LA. So, so you're there. So your, your kids will go off to college eventually, but you guys will stay and this will be your home forever. Forever. 
Okay. Well, I'll let you go Maybe home. Maybe I'll it. be the bubeshka. I'll be <laughs> impress <laughs> me in my eighties. Yes. Um, well, I will let you go home to your family you. on the east side. But it was so lovely getting so, to talk well, to you. Thank you. I loved stopping off here on my way home. So Do it anytime. Time. Anytime that you're like to. stuck in traffic between Santa Monica and home, and you're I'll bored. Like, I haven't been on the radio enough. <laughs> I need some more time on the microphone. My ears are too aired out. <laughs> I need to clamp something on them. Exactly. All right. You're wonderful. Again, press play with Madeline Brand on KCRW. You can find it at kcrw.com online. You can listen to it whenever you want to, and you should, because it's okay. eclectic and you cool and fun and smart. There's a podcast, isn't there? Mm-hmm. You can podcast it, but after you listen to it, after the podcast. Because <laughs> there aren't enough podcasts. Um, right. But you're wonderful, and it's so good thank to hang you. out with you and see you. Well, you're so, thank you. Thank you for sharing all your stories with me. And next week, we have um, longtime TV writer and producer Latoya Morgan who has cool. worked on Into the Badlands and um, Turn, that show Turn. Mm-hmm. And I think she did an episode of The Americans. Anyway, she's a really, really oh, cool woman cool. that I've known for a while. And so she'll be on next week. So thank you. Thank you guys for sticking around. Bye. Bye.